Welcome to Sullivan's Pro Football Kickoff. It's about the Bills and the beer. Now, here's your host, John Murphy. Well, hi there. Welcome back. Football season is back, and so is our podcast on a weekly basis. The podcast, Sullivan's Pro Football Kickoff. My name is John Murphy, play-by-play voice of the Buffalo Bills, and uh, we're going to be here almost every week now talking about the Bills and the beer. That's what the podcast is about, the Bills and the beer, right? Great get-together. The Sullivan's Pro Football Kickoff. Got a good one this time, too. We're going to talk about the upcoming 2021 season about to kick off. We'll talk about the preseason, the three preseason games with our guest, Cynthia Freeland of the NFL Network. She is an analytics expert. She's also the sideline reporter on all three Bills Television Network's productions of the Bills in preseason. Cynthia Freeland has some interesting thoughts on the Bills, on analytics, how the Bills use them, how they can use them even more effectively. She's coming up in a moment here. We're going to talk about beer, too. Sullivan's Maltings Irish Red Ale with Matt Melee, Beverage Director of Sea Level Oyster Bar in Newburyport, Massachusetts. Uh, Massachusetts and Rhode Island, the two newest frontiers for Sullivan's. We uh, gained entry into both of those markets, and we'll talk with Matt Melee about that, about his restaurant, and how the Sullivan's is pouring so far. They're pouring it there in the Boston area, in Massachusetts, and in Rhode Island. Sullivan's profile continues to expand. Sullivan's Brewing Company is our sponsor, brewed in Kilkenny, Ireland, makers of Sullivan's Maltings Irish Red Ale, Sullivan's Irish Gold Ale, Sullivan's Black Marble Stout. All imported from Ireland to Buffalo, upstate New York, New York City, Long Island, New Jersey, Cleveland, Columbus, Ohio, Atlanta, Savannah, Georgia, Nashville, Tennessee, and now, of course, in Boston, Massachusetts, and Rhode Island. Coming soon to a tavern or store near you. We're growing fast. You just ask for Sullivan's at your local pub or tavern, wherever you buy beer. Sullivan's Irish Maltings Red Ale, Sullivan's Irish Gold Ale, Sullivan's Black Marble Stout. Buffalo Bills, the 2021 season, ready to launch. And launch is really the right word. They're going to go shooting through the sky, I think. They're they're ready for a big season. It's only preseason, only three preseason looks at the Bills this year. But you'd have to say the Bills look like they're ready to go. A 3-0 preseason. The offense still very sharp, with mostly the same cast. The defense looks better. Got a pass rush now, it appears, with first-round draft pick Greg Russo adding to that. It's the same cast, though, very important, especially on offense. This is the fourth year in the offense for quarterback Josh Allen, for offensive coordinator Brian Dable. His offensive line is back in tech. they got good wide receivers. Devin Singletary looks leaner, faster. The fourth year in the offense, that continuity should mean something for the Bills as they get going this year. They averaged 31 points per game last year. They may do it again or something similar to that. The defense, fifth year under Leslie Frazier, they'd speak the same language they've got going on. They've added some important pieces, too. Russo, we talked about, and others who will help the pass rush. It's the fifth year under head coach Sean McDermott. And I think it's the continuity there is really important. The Bills know what Sean McDermott expects. They know how to play hard. Preseason, postseason, regular season, it doesn't matter. They know how to play hard. There are very few letdowns for a Sean McDermott team. Now, I do think McDermott is facing the biggest challenge of his Buffalo tenure with the team's spotty response to COVID vaccinations. Maybe the biggest challenge he's faced. And look, players do have the right to do what they want, but uh, they're trying to get them to buy into a team concept. And McDermott has struggled to sell that concept to this team. And that would continue to be a challenge, I think. They're going to have a good season, maybe a great season coming up. Maybe a Super Bowl caliber season, really, if they stay healthy and if they avoid COVID disruptions. If they do all that, they should win 14 games, go 14-3. and 
They've set up with a pass rush to handle Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs, both in the regular season, October 10th in Kansas City, and potentially in the postseason. It all starts Sunday, September 12th, coming up soon. Highmark Stadium against the Pittsburgh Steelers. Gotta say, one preseason game at home. It was great to have Bills fans back at newly named Highmark Stadium. Should be wild for the opener against the Steelers. It's going to be big. It's going to be fun. You don't want to miss it on the radio or on TV or in person if you can get there. We are all ready to talk about the Bills with our first guest, Cynthia Freeland of NFL Network about analytics and the Bills, how do they measure up, etc. Cynthia Freeland up next here on the Sullivan's Pro Football Kickoff. Sullivan's Pro Football Kickoff, and my guest is Cynthia Freeland, NFL data sideline reporter, NFL Network's analytics expert. Uh, you can see her on Sundays on game day morning. She's also spent the last couple of weeks as a sideline reporter on the Bills television network on the field for all three Buffalo Bills preseason games. How'd you like the view from the sideline, Cynthia? Let me be honest. It was a blast. Yeah. Um, other than the, I was a little hot that last one. It was like 150 degrees in the field, but, um, and in Chicago too, but I had a great time. This is a special team. Really grateful. What a, it was a, such a cool opportunity. Yeah. And you got to see firsthand how Bills fans feel about their team. They think it's a special team. Uh, you just said it's a special team, but how good are they? I guess, what do you make from what you've saw, what you saw in the preseason games? Well, let's be honest, on every single team, you're not really seeing the best of the best in the preseason anyways. We have to kind of take it worth a grain of salt. Sure. But I will say that pass to Gabriel Davis in the end zone, oh, I was so happy to see that live. Like Josh Allen spins it. Like that was a, I was like, oh my, all my fingers would break if I tried to catch that, that pass. <laughs> so it was, it was really fun to see. And I think this is, this is a team with a high ceiling and a big potential. And, you know, if it, if, if kind of the energy surrounding what it's like on that sideline has any indication at all, it's, it's going to be a fun season. I mean, first of all, the fans are insane, but second of all, <laughs> the team are like full of nice people who like seem to genuinely get along. So it's, it sounds, it sounds crazy, but it's, it's kind of refreshing. Like I didn't see any divas. <laughs> it's true. You know, you talk about uh, last Saturday's game and the, the uh, win over the Packers. That pass was incredible. The touchdown pass. There was another pass, and we're going to talk about Josh a little bit from an analytic sense, but he was rolling to his left and threw kind of across his body and hit Cole Beasley for a first down, a huge third down in the second quarter. That pass, to me, was almost as impressive as the touchdown pass. Well, if you look at Josh Allen, what he does really well or what he improved, I guess, very well from, you know, 2019 to 2020 was how accurate he was on under pressure downfield. That was a huge area of uptick that Cole Beasley really helped out with as well. Scheming to get Cole Beasley open, leveraging the separation that he's able to create and creating those kind of deep passes and deep passing opportunities, or even having the deep pass by stretching the field with Stefan Diggs, but maybe targeting Cole Beasley when things break down was a really big source of like really strong success last season. And that's something that forecasts to continue in this season, especially considering, I mean, Emmanuel Sanders is not a drop-off. He is better in many ways than John Brown. So you could have even more success forecasted. He said the, the Bills have a, a four-person analytics department they have for a couple of years now. Are they unusual in that regard? How many, give me a guess, how many NFL teams have that heavy uh, analytics department, do you think? I think that the Bills are, they're about, I would say a little, like I, I would say most teams have somewhere between, I like your analytics staff, by the way, they're nice people. Um, <laughs> 
they're good. They do a good job. Uh, I think maybe they're around average. I would think some teams have, I mean, a few teams have just like one. Um, some teams have like very large staffs, like 10, 15, um, and they break them down into different areas. But I think that's about an average number of people. But I think the thing that makes the Bills analytics staff special is that they have a really maybe better than some other teams, many other teams. Um, they, they have defined roles that people know how to communicate with other teams. The analytics staff is buried in like confusing titles, like quality control means a lot of different things for a lot of different teams. So you kind of get confused what they're supposed to be doing. And by the way, then factor in, you know, that their regime changes and different coaches coming in and they have different belief systems. So the utility of the analytics function then suffers if there's confusion about what they're supposed to be doing. So the clarity of the role is probably the strength for the bills. What is the best way for an NFL team to use an analytics department in your, in your view? So I think that it, like, I keep saying this, like, like I, I make an arbitrary number that sounds kind of low, like 20%, right? If you can have a quality of your decision be 20% better. And I say quality because you still have to make the decision. Sometimes it is better to take the lower probability decision or the seemingly low, lower probability decision. If you're hearing on TV when they're like, the analytics say to go for it. Well, that's not necessarily true because if maybe your analytics staff has come up with, hey, if our right guard gets punched in the face four times in a row, like it's not actually better for us to go for it because our fourth down plays are really need the right guard. So the point is, is it's about context. And if you could have 20% better decisions, both from your on-field analytics, meaning decision-making, play calling, all that stuff, and you know when to call specific timeouts or not, when to use the coach's challenge or rely on the sky judge, that's a new rule this year, things like that. If you can be 20% better, then you can get more first downs, which means more opportunities for touchdowns, which means a better opportunity to, to, to win the game, controlling kind of the pace and controlling the scoring. So it's more, it's like a tool in your tool belt. And that allows you to make, again, the 20% is, is an arbitrary number. It's just meant to show you that it's not like it's going to make hundred percent better decisions. It's a 20% better decision. Each time those things compound and add up. And that's really what's meaningful. Same thing with, you know, 20% better decisions in free agency, 20% better decisions for the draft. It's, it doesn't, it's not a hundred, it's not a bulletproof situation. It's a, just a little bit better each time that adds up. How much, how much of analytics usage in the NFL should be related to game situations compared to player acquisitions, draft and and uh, free agents. I mean, is, is it better suited to help you out in one way or the other? I think that you have to ask yourself what your team and what the people that you're working with, what their competencies are. Some some coaches don't get as much value from the in-game from in-game stuff because maybe they're they they can feel it or di- they have a different philosophy so it doesn't help them and then maybe that they're it's better suited for free agency or for the draft whereas other coaches maybe they're better with free agents or their scouting staff is stronger or they have a better system in place for their scouting staff so it's it's probably better for them to use in game the point is to the more the more self aware the coaches the more opportunities for analytics to actually help because if you if you're not open to it it doesn't matter like i could tell you the most amazing answer on the planet if you don't care about it you're not going to hear it so 
at the, at the end of the day, it's about self-awareness and where can you use it? Especially remember we have a time constraint, right? Like every week there's just a new opponent. So there's time constraints that are different for us than for other sports, the cadence of baseball, you know, pitcher doesn't pitch every night, right? They pitch every so-and-so games, right? Like they start every four games or five games, whatever it is. So at the end of the day, you have to be very self-aware, know your strengths, know your weaknesses and know the strengths of your overall team and coaches and, and their deficiencies and use it to help fill gaps. Like I said, 20%, not hundred percent. With Cynthia Freeland, she is a analytics expert for NFL network. Um, I, you also write for NFL.com and I've been reading some of your recent articles. You, you've kind of, I don't know if you've invented this metric, but you talk about win share and you compare it to uh, wins above replacement that many baseball fans would be familiar with. Can you talk about that? What win share is and, and how you apply it? Yeah. So it took forever. Um, it is, it's like player efficiency rating in base in basketball or war in baseball. Basically what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to get at an individual player's contribution as it relates to the team as a whole. Then you can measure up, you know, quarterback to quarterback, corner to corner. And then you can say this person's really good, but they're in a crappy situation or this person's not as good, but, or, or, you know, but they're in a really great situation. So it tries to add context, measuring each player. I went through and created like a formula for excuse me, for each player to figure out where they, where they kind of rank out. And then I, I vetted it with coaches and I vetted it with, um, you know, true statisticians. Like I went to, you know, I, I went back to my school and asked my professors to help me with the math to make sure, you know, we're overestimating correlation with causation, et cetera, et cetera. So really vetted it well to, to come up with the best fake number possible, right? It's an approximation, no matter what, but an, an approximation that, you know, at least is equally wrong for each one. And, um, and then, so you can kind of measure the relative rank for it. So just, it, it relates it to first downs and touchdowns or the ability to stop first downs and touchdowns in each game. And then it adds up over the course of the 17 game season. And obviously a position like quarterback has a higher number and a position like, you know, running back has a lower number, but then you can, you can rank them relative to each other. And you developed this, you, you, you invented this metric, huh? Yeah. I mean, a, a lot of people have tried, like there's a number. I'm not the only person to do something like war for football. People have been trying to figure out, take a little bite at this apple for a while. This way makes the most sense to me. And it's vetted with, you know, cause I, I vetted people who call plays, like that's what they were doing. They're architecting offenses. And then I like made sure the math worked out. So for me, it's, it's, it's my way of, of doing that. There's a number of ways of doing that, but the, this one seems to, seems to resonate with people who are actual quote unquote football people. And you have, uh, as the fifth highest win share, you have Buffalo's Josh Allen. Can you talk about that? Why he rated so high in this metric? Well, a couple of reasons. Number one, Josh Allen's ability to see people keep asking me, is Josh Allen going to regress this year? Right. And my right. answer is like, maybe, but, but even if he takes a little bit of a regression step back, like he took such a huge, massive step forward that you're still like, they, they, you're not asking the right question. Um, so, so it's, it's ultimately, you know, there's a lot of continuity from play caller to the team around him. Um, there's upgrades at some positions of need. The defense is likely going to be better, which sounds weird to say about a quarterback, but just so you know, if your defense is better, it is actually better um, yeah. to for your quarterback surprise. But it's ultimately Josh Allen. One, I love his off-platform throwing ability, which means, you know, as, as much as I'd like to say, like, you know, a quarterback's perfect alignment and posture, like, of course, everyone, if you have a, no pressure 
and you're able to get in perfect alignment, you should, as an NFL quarterback, you should be able to throw a good pass, but that doesn't happen. Maybe like maybe 10 or 15% of the time you're getting a clean pocket, right? You're often pressured. You're often under duress. You're often run. And, and Josh Allen is his ability to complete passes and get that velocity on the ball that is kind of regular per route. So connecting with the receivers on like rhythm, right? I'm trying to approximate rhythm. He's really good at that second highest passer rating in that last season forecast to stay strong in that metric. Great under pressure, especially with the deep ball last season. We saw that. Then you got another year of Gabriel Davis's improvement in, in, you know, from rookie to his sophomore campaign. So you have kind of an uptick in those pass catchers and the opportunity for the run game to be a little bit stronger this season. It might not make his quote unquote fantasy numbers as good, but Josh Allen's reality numbers, if this run game even in, increases, maybe, you know, 20% more, I mean, in this 20%, I can't stop. Um, you know, even if it increases, you know, if you add three or four more first downs earned per game by running backs, that does nothing but put Josh Allen in better situations to, you know, be able to pick up and understand which defenses he's faced with and, and how to navigate them because he's learned a lot over the past, you know, obviously he earned that monster contract for a reason. You, you write about how Josh is the, the second best off platform thrower in the NFL. And I can't help but think about the throw I was talking about earlier in preseason to, you know, he was off platform. He was being kind of flushed out of the pocket. He was off balance. He was going the wrong way. And he still threw a great pass to Cole Beasley. That, that, that's the practical application of the numbers that, that are reflected in your metric, right? Exactly. That's exactly right. It also, I tried to do off platform to get both. I wanted to, to capture, cause we often talk about pressures and then, and then, so, you know, that's like, you know, interesting, but like often you're on the run and then you, are you being pressured if you're still on the run and, but you're throw that little, like, you know, we see that lob. We actually saw Jordan love do exactly this in that, yeah. in that preseason game. And by the way, it ended up with a, uh, you know, I, I believe it was a picked off in the end zone. Uh, I, I didn't yeah. know it was cause I saw Micah Hyde do it, but um, you know, it, and it, it gets that weird lob action and it goes a lot slower. It's a lot easier to catch, you know, like a fly ball. So um, you know, he doesn't, that's not what happens to him. Cause I wanted to see what happened when someone's in motion. If they can keep that velocity and some people can't and some people can, but Josh Allen certainly can. And the one, and you mentioned it a little bit, um, the continuity in Josh Allen's offensive system. I, I happen to think it is an underrated aspect of how good the bills have looked this preseason and how good they could be. I really think having Dayball back for a fourth year and Josh being in the, the same system for a fourth year and many of the same players. I think that's an amazing benefit for the bills. Oh, you saw the chiefs last year, the yeah. chiefs had a lot of the most continuity in the league and you saw where that got them. I mean, they struggled kind of in the, even in the middle of the season, but because they had such a strong start and such a foundation, they were able, it carried them all the way to the super bowl. And obviously their O-line was banged up, but you know, it, that continuity is very, it's very important and it's not continuity of bad players. It has to be continuity of good players, which is also what the bills have. You often can't always keep all of your good players. Your defense is a, the, the bills defense is a real Testament to that, right? People taking team friendly deals in this season of the salary cap going down to provide more continuity that helps everyone out. So it's really mostly about having the good players or the players that are above average or the players, the average players who perform above average in this system. Those are the ones that you need to retain because, you know, continuity is not great unless the people who are continuing are the good people. <laughs> right. Right. And, and one more uh, post you had on NFL.com. You, you had the, 
your projection of the most improved player on all 32 teams, and you pick running back Zach Moss as the Bills' projected most improved player. How did you land on him? Well, a couple of things. I thought, you know, obviously securing the O-line and figuring out um, depth, more depth with the O-line and more kind of strategic, like we, there were some questions. There were still some, there's still some questions. I mean, those tackles, you see them in person, the, the draft attack, holy moly. Yeah, like, big boys. They, they are not small humans. Those are gigantic humans. And, yeah, you know, yeah. it, it was incredible, but adding to the O-line helps. Of course, Zach Moss didn't have a regular preseason last year, which really makes things difficult. I mean, I think all of those 2020 guys, all of the rookies in 2020 had a real, they were at a disadvantage because they did not get a chance to, to gel with the team. So I think this is an opportunity to, you know, obviously he played last season, but like, you know, to gel with the team, to like take this yards after contact. So there's two types of yards after contact. There's yards after contact that come when you have forward progress, meaning you're past the line of scrimmage. And then there's yards after contact that happen when you're behind the line of scrimmage. Those are the ones that stink because those running backs haven't gotten up to full speed. They're not running with a full head of steam, their velocity, right? Their forward moving mass, not going as fast. So it's much harder to earn Zach Moss. Actually his yards after contact, once he reaches full speed, that's a very nice metric of his very good, strong projection for what he could do. And he just wasn't able to get, full up to full speed as often last season. So now you're going to be able to see, get the chance for him to get up to full speed where he has, you know, again, that full head of steam is a lot. It's a lot harder to, to stop someone when they've gotten all the way to full speed than when they haven't. It's amazing stuff. Cynthia, you, uh, your role on uh, NFL game day morning on, uh, on NFL network. Tell me what you'll be doing on a weekly basis. You're basically there every Sunday morning, right? Yeah. Um, so I, uh, we have so our same as last year, really. Like you know, the the kind of the, all the the team's back. We have a brand new, a brand new. I'm gonna see. I haven't even seen it yet. Our new studio. Um, I get to see it for the first time on you know this weekend, and um, nothing like the last minute, right? So uh, we're gonna have some fun segments around you know some strategies for upcoming games for like all the numbers to break down, like all the different ways that we can kind of dissect the game using numbers, things to project looking forward, and of course every single a week we get to pick like all the winners and I'm going to tell you I've already run very lucky because a few teams are making me go back and like redo all my homework but not the bills so I already have your one week one score and thank goodness bills mafia is still going to be happy with me because we're gonna we're gonna keep going through I want to well, keep that you, ball are you, rolling. are you ready to give us the score now or you want to I don't have the full score I just I can tell the winner so far because I know it sounds crazy <laughs> but I have to run the whole season at once otherwise it gets really uh, if I try to do just one game over and over again um it gets it's just too much work. So I have to run the whole season, but I can already tell you who wins that one because, because I I've, I've run it plenty of times already. Okay. That's good. That's good to know. Hey, Cynthia, thanks for this. We hope to see you down the line. Uh, we appreciate you spending time with us. Oh, you know what? I listen, I'm telling you, I bought a lot of bills. Like I went on NFL shop and I bought maybe too much bill stuff. So we're, we're all good. I'm, I'm kind of all in, like I had such a good experience. I, I, you were so kind, like everyone was so kind to me. So I really, I really felt at home. You're listening to Sullivan's Pro Football Kickoff with John Murphy. Sullivan's Pro Football Podcast continues. And joining us now from Newburyport, Massachusetts, the beverage director and assistant general manager of Sea Level Oyster Bar, Matt Mele. Matt, thanks for coming on. We appreciate it. Good morning, John. How are we doing today? Thanks for having me. Doing great. Yeah. 
Sea Level is uh, an interesting place, a, a, a seafood restaurant in Newburyport that has just started pouring Sullivan's Irish Red Ale. But tell me about Newburyport, first of all. It's a, it's kind of a, a town right on the banks of the Merrimack River. Your restaurant's right on the river, right? Absolutely. We're right on the river. It's about 50 yards out the back door. Uh, there's a boardwalk that stretches the length of the river. And there's uh, the town's done a great job putting together areas where, you know, you'll walk up in the morning and there's yoga classes and there's kids playing and playing sports. So it's really a community gathering point. Um, the river's right there. We have yachts that pull up. And it's a great it's a good time. It's a nice place to be. And how does the restaurant Sea Level Oyster Bar fit into that uh, to that town? Uh, what piece does that provide to uh, Newbury? Part of being uh, a restaurant in that community, uh, you're you're part of everything that goes on around you. We're actually in what was the original firehouse for the town. Uh, it's been converted, so we're on the first floor, and they've turned the second floor into a playhouse where uh, local residents and uh, actors, actresses, they put on plays and shows. Like everything is part of everything in Newburyport. Small community, tight knit, and uh, it's a really great place to be. It's a special place. It's about what. 30 minutes, 30 miles north of Boston. Is that what I read? Yeah, like 30, 35 minutes north of Boston. And it's one of those, like, when you get there, it's like, you, it's like you're walking into a postcard. It's absolutely gorgeous. Yeah. And tell me about the restaurant itself and the menu. You're called an oyster bar, but it's pretty much a fresh seafood specialty place, right? Sure. So we get fresh seafood delivery seven days a week. Uh, we've been open for a couple of years. We're a company of three. Um, we're the third of the three stores, and it's an oyster bar. We change selections three to four different oysters at a time every day, um, and we also are heavily driven by beer. I have 20 taps, and I sell lots of drinks, but out of my liquor, beer, and wine, uh, the, beer is, the beer is my number one goer. Uh, I have the highest beer sales in the company. I have the best beer costs in the company, and it's really important to me, like, Beer and oysters, like those are those are food for the people in the summertime, in the fall, in the spring. Like you really want to make people feel like they're coming to a neighborhood friendly place. We have nice brick walls. Uh, it's a very warm place to be. So you're the beverage director. You said how important beer That's is, correct. and you've just added Sullivan's uh, Malting's Irish Red Ale to the beer menu at sea level. Tell me about that decision and what you think so far. Sure. Uh, no brainer for me. Uh, you know, living on the North Shore of Boston, there's a heavy population of uh, retired Irish people and we all love our red beer. Um, as well as when you're putting a beer menu together, you want to have a little something for everybody. Um, uh, IPAs are a heavy part of the market, but I remember there was one day I actually got to the point. I said, if I meet one more guy who comes in with a beard and tattoos, try to sell me his IPA and tell me how <laughs> cool it was. Like I'm going to buy anything else literally just so I don't have to go have that conversation for the 20th time of the day. So uh, you want dark, you want light, you want stuff in the middle, but beer's fun. Beer's supposed to be fun. You can identify with multiple beers, brands, and flavors, as opposed to if you're drinking liquor, you're really like, you're a one horse kind of person you're you're really it's it's exclusive beer is inclusive beer is fun beers for everybody you can bounce around for different things throughout your dining experience or through your drinking experience throughout a week or a month you can tie in different things uh i thought it was a no-brainer it's a great product and it really matches my demographic i want to you touched on a couple of things i want to get into depth sure. but tell me about ipas I, i've noticed over six months or maybe almost a year now kind of people getting away from IPAs, bar owners, tavern owners, even and customers. I mean, it's it was hot maybe four or five years ago, but I see people kind of backing away from IPAs. Do you see that also? Uh, I see it to a degree. Everybody has a different palate. If you have an IPA palate, 
that's great. I personally don't have one, but I respect well-crafted products. Um, that market has been saturated and beyond to the point where there are wonderful breweries and they have opened up and uh, made a good living for themselves. But there's, let's say, 10 spots and there's 100 people trying to get those 10 spots and they're all selling the ever so slightest different version of the exact same thing. Um, to me, it's, it's a little too dark. It's a little too heavy. I feel like I'm chewing it. It's just not for me. But I, I, if people want to give me their money, I'll sell it to them. Yeah. Um, however, it can't be the do all end all. There has to be other things because IPA drinkers aren't the only people walking through your door. Um, you have beginning drinkers, you have medium drinkers, you have advanced drinkers. And not every experience is I need to crush a beer that's 8% that tastes like I'm drinking a tree. Like, not all food <laughs> matches that, right? Like, yeah. beer's supposed to be fine. You're supposed to enjoy all, all parts of it. So, and how does Sullivan's Maltings Irish Red Ale fit into that, especially because Sullivan's is not a you know, it's not a trendy beer or ale. It's sort of a classic, uh, almost old-fashioned uh, red ale, I think. What do you think? Uh, I also agree. I think uh, that that red style of beer is a little classic, and it's old-fashioned, but it's durable, and it lasts for a reason. Um, and the stuff tastes fantastic. There's a little caramel. There's a little biscuits. It's not heavy. You can have a couple without feeling like you're full. Um, it's not so light that you're not enjoying the experience to drink a beer and having a couple with your friends. Um, but it also complements a lot of food because of the flavors that are driven into it. It's balanced. Um, and it goes with a lot of different things on a menu. So I couldn't be a big, bigger fan since we got in the door. It's been moving so well for us. And uh, like I said, I met Mike. It was a no brainer. It's a great product. That's good to hear because Sullivan's is just in the last couple of weeks. Entered just started. The yeah. It's just broke into Massachusetts, Rhode Island. Great place for them to be. And I can't wait for the for the continued growth of the product. The, the market, there's a demand for it. And, and that was one of the things that, you know, I had to debate in my head. Like, I, I don't just put things in our business because I want it. That's not a successful business model. I need to bring things on that the people want. There's a huge desire and uh, thirst for a product of this style. And I think it's going to be ubiquitous all over. I'm very happy I got an early invite. It almost it almost seems like Solomon's is a natural fit for Massachusetts, the, the Boston market in particular. Would you agree? I could not agree more. That absolutely one of the things I considered when saying yes, which was pretty fast. So, all right, let's talk a little bit about. Um, we've talked about the restaurant. We talked about Solomon's, and you uh, keep tabs on the Buffalo Bills, which is a big topic on on our pi- podcast every week. Uh, you like to do it. Uh, not I a do big like, fan, but you like the Bills, right? And you have for a while. I am. I'm a fan of the Bills organization. You know, uh, I grew up, uh, you know, an Irish teenager on the North Shore of Boston. And, you know, the Patriots weren't very good Mm -hmm. back when I was a kid. And the Bills were always on that Sunday, one o'clock CBS game. They were always on and just loaded with all-stars and Hall of Famers. And they were kind of changing the way the game was played. Uh, The K-Gun offense and the no huddles. They had these monster DNs and Cornelius Bennett and Bruce Smith coming off the edge. They even had Hall of Famers and special teams and Steve Tasker, who I think does Bill's TV or radio now as well. Um, They were fun. They won. And their brand of football was different than anything I'd seen watching on Sundays. Uh, Wore Cornelius Bennett's 97 uh, was my practice jersey in high school when I played. Like, I was a fan. What a great team. So to see the revolution coming back with Coach McDermott and uh, a really complete roster 
that's uh, man, you guys totally deserve it up there. What great fans you have. Well, I, I was thinking, man, the Bills fans tune into the podcast might be a bit surprised. I guess we just assume that everybody in the Boston area is a Patriots fan. Not I don't know fans. where you get. The, I don't know where you get that idea from about Boston being Boston people being provincial. I don't know what would ever tell you on that. <laughs> um, I am. I am an outlier in those terms, but I'm okay with it. Um, to me, I'm a football fan first, so I'm going to be a fan of great athletes, great teams, great performances, and great theater. Um, and man, you guys went to four straight Super Bowls. That was a phenomenal team. Watching the current team and the way that it's coached and the way that it's explosive on both sides of the football. Like, this is real deal stuff going on in Buffalo, and you guys really have something there. Last thing I want to finish with, Matt, and that's just how Sea uh, Level Oyster Bar managed to survive during COVID. Uh, it could not have been easy. And, and we still hear from restaurant owners who are struggling with uh, staffing levels and supply. How have you guys managed to, to make it work? Um, that's a great question. And I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a lucky guy. I joined our company. It's three stores about four years ago. And we have a fantastic owner, privately owned. Uh, he started the original store in two decades ago, actually. And he was a responsible owner, was extremely prepared financially, insurance-wise, and really had the mindset of that we're going to see ourselves from A to B. We're going to get from the beginning of whatever, whatever this is to the end of whatever this is. He was going to keep his people active and involved. Um, we were told, we all sat down, all the stores gathered in a room, and he said, you know, Everyone in this room is getting paid until the last penny comes out of my bank account. You are my team. You are my people. You built this. Like, we're doing this. Um, so we'd show up to the buildings on regularly scheduled work days. You're in at 10, you're out at 6. And you're never going to get another chance to repaint the building, to go scrub the kitchen down, to do all the physical touch-ups. It's never going to happen. You're never going to close again. So this is the time to really kind of like make the building fresh and new. Um, but what it really did is it gave us a place to show up to work every day. So when the rest of the world was shut down, you know, I'm hopping in my car, I'm driving to work, I'm in at 10, I'm out at six. And it gave me a routine to stick to. Um, and that was probably the most valuable thing that came out of it is that while the rest of the world was kind of sitting at home and questioning and just, you know, consuming so much news, like we were at work being part of a team, um, making our business better, but that we had a routine every day. So then when it was time to reopen, we weren't starting fresh with, whatever we just came out of that the rest of the world did that we were ready to go as a team. It was pretty great. That teamwork, that spirit probably serves you well now that you're open for the most part, right? Incredible. Um, the people that went into it and made it out of it and worked together under all kinds of uncertainty um, and really just kind of trusting each other. Like we all, we all know that that group of people that hit the finish line, there's nothing that's really going to stop us. And the level of dependability and trust that we have in each other out of this world. Like we made it through a pandemic in the restaurant industry. Like life, we, we got a good squad going. So yeah, pretty cool. Sure do. Great yeah. story. Hey man, thanks for being on the podcast with us today. And uh, thanks for pouring Sullivan's really appreciate it. John, I can't thank you enough and uh, really just enjoyed meeting you. Go Bills. You're listening to Sullivan's pro football kickoff. 
with John Murphy. Well, our thanks to Matt Mele, Beverage Director and Assistant General Manager at Sea Level Oyster Bar in Newburyport, Massachusetts. Sounds like a great place, doesn't it? Really sounds like a good place. I'd like to check that out. Sullivan's available now at uh, Sea Level and in Massachusetts and Rhode Island, so Sullivan's footprint continues to expand. Our thanks to Cynthia Freeland. We talked football with Cynthia Freeland, NFL Network analytics expert. She got a lot of interesting thoughts about analytics and about the Buffalo Bills having uh, covered all three preseason games from the sideline. Thanks to Cynthia. You know, she's not one of those analytics experts who just focuses on analytics. She gets it. There's much more to it than just analytics, but there is a role for analytics to play. And I think when you listen to Cynthia, you see that to be the case. Interested in your thoughts or your reaction to our podcast, you can do it easily. Just shoot us an email. Sullivan's Pro Football Kickoff at gmail.com. Pretty simple. Sullivan's Pro Football Kickoff at gmail.com. Send us your comments, your suggestions, your guest suggestions, critiques. We'll read them all. We may even read them on the air. Sullivan's Pro Football Kickoff at gmail.com. Our sponsors, Sullivan's Brewing Company from Kilkenny, Ireland. Uh, imported Irish Red Ale, Maltings Irish Red Ale, Sullivan's Irish Gold Ale, Sullivan's Black Marble Stout, all brewed in Kilkenny, Ireland, imported all over the United States now, Buffalo, upstate New York, and several other places. Sullivan's Brewing Company, the makers of Sirens, Mal- uh, Sullivan's Maltings Irish Red Ale. I want to thank our producer, Pat Feldball. We're going to see you next time right here as we preview the Bills' upcoming season. So make sure you join us next week for another installment of Sullivan's Pro Football Kickoff. You've been listening to John Murphy and Sullivan's Pro Football Kickoff. It's all about the Bills and the Beers.